Hey, welcome to the Newbie Real Estate Investors Podcast. My name is Joey Chan, and this is my co-host, Jonathan Boyle. And uh, today we're here at the Covat uh, Real Estate and Insurance School uh, interviewing Kyle Kovat. Uh, he is a real estate salesperson, uh, educator, syndicator, investor, you name it. And please stay tuned. So, quick question: How'd you get started in uh, real estate? So, um, we're at Kovats Real Estate School here in 1973. Uh, my grandfather Frank started this school. He was involved in property management for a number of years, um, and after property management, he had started teaching real estate part time. And then, in 1973, decided to open up Kovats Real Estate School. So, he had never um, been involved really in the brokerage side of the business, but uh, he had the real estate school. He had taught the class. So, when I turned 18, um, it was my summer after high school. I really had nothing much else going on besides landscaping work. So I decided I would get my real estate license, um, got my real estate license, started doing it part-time in college while I was at Rutgers. And uh, after I graduated, just decided to kind of dive in full-time to the brokerage side of the business. And then from there, I uh, just started doing more and more subdivisions, flips, uh, syndications, um, you name it pretty much. Any any little aspect of real estate I've pretty much had some kind of a part in at one point in time or another. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you, so you've been uh, in the industry for almost uh, for over a decade at this point. Yeah, right? about a decade. Yeah. Wow. So, um, what's, so since that's everything that you've done now, or I mean before, like what do you focus on now? So my main focus is three things. So number one, we still have the real estate school here. So um, I teach here at Kovats Real Estate School. Um, number two, uh, real estate brokerage activities. So I predominantly represent buyers and sellers in the suburbs of Essex County, uh, specifically really the West Essex area in particular. And number three, I focus on you know acquiring large apartment complexes, um, 50 to 200 units typically, and we syndicate those um, mostly in two states, in, in Texas, in particular Dallas, Fort Worth area, as well as Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, can you, uh, so let me ask you a few questions in, into each um, subsection, mm -hmm. these three subsections. Um, so first one, let's uh, do the school. Um, how, many, how many teachers do you have here at the school? Uh, we basically have three teachers. I teach pretty much all the real estate salesperson's classes. Uh, we have a teacher who teaches the broker's class, and we have a teacher who teaches the insurance class. Um, majority of our business, 90% plus of it, revolves around real estate, mm -hmm. and the large majority of that is the salesperson's class, um, which I 100% handle. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's the name of the brokerage, number one? Uh, and. You, I guess you're, you're the owner or are you the broker? Uh, because you know, there's, yeah. there's a distinction. So my license with Keller Williams Suburban Realty in Livingston. Okay. Um, so I am not the owner or the broker there. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I operate as a salesperson there. Okay. So I specialize in just residential suburban sales in the suburbs. Um, my six main towns, I would say, are Roseland, Essex Fells, Caldwell, West Caldwell, North Caldwell, and okay. Fairfield. Um, also do, you know, Cedar Grove, Verona, Livingston. So and I would say those are like my top nine towns. Okay. Um, so again, predominantly the West Essex area. Um, 
I mainly just look to work with any buyers and sellers in those areas. Um, I work with people who do two families, three families, four families, but the large majority, the bulk of my business is just single family home sales for end use buyers for the most part. Um, I bought some stuff myself, represented myself in buying some stuff to flip and things like that as mm -hmm. well. Um, but 90% plus of my business revolves around just you know single single family home sales in the in the suburbs. Cool. So, so uh, I had a quick question then. Uh, so, I as far as the brokerage side of things, um, when you got started at 18, um, can you go over maybe like the first deal you ever did? Like, do you remember what? maybe some issues you may have faced, yeah. like a funny story or something? Yeah, so I have a couple really funny stories from, <laughs> uh, from dealing in Hoboken. So if anybody's familiar with like the rental market in Hoboken, it is the absolute wild west. It's just like a, a listing comes on on the market on like a Thursday and you don't even have to lie to people at all. You could just tell somebody it's gonna be gone by Saturday and that's the truth in a market like that. So in Hoboken, I remember the first deal I ever did, I had got my license and when you get your license, it usually takes the state like 10 to 14 days to send it to your broker. So you're kind of sitting around waiting for that license to come in. Um, so just, you know, I was kind of learning those 10 to 14 days how I was going to do rentals. At the time I was in college, rentals were quicker, they were simpler, they were easier, and it was quicker money. So for me, it was a lot easier to do rentals and sales, and that's what I focused on. So when I first got my license, it came in on like a Thursday. I placed an ad, on a, an ad on Craigslist for a listing that my office had, and uh, I got my phone ringing off the hook, and I was like, this is unbelievable, <laughs> this is so easy. So, you know, the thing that I didn't do is I didn't pre-qualify anybody. I would take anybody and anybody out at that time. So, but that Saturday, I took these two girls out who had just uh, graduated from Duke, and they were engineers, and um, showed them a railroad-style apartment, a two-bedroom in Hoboken on 2nd, and, um, they said, hey, how soon do you think this is gonna move? I said, I honestly, I said, I'm not bullshitting you. I think this is probably gonna move by like tomorrow. And uh, they're like, so how do we get this? I was like, well, we put in an offer. So long story short, we go back to my office to draw up the offer. I had no idea how to draw a lease. So I asked my broker in a very busy brokerage on a Saturday, <laughs> rental season in, in Hoboken. I said, you know, what do I do? I went to the back of his office. I told the girls, I was like, hey, just wait up here real quick went to the back of the office and he was like, well, he's like, the uh, lease agreements are in that draw, just fill it out and that's it. Like, I don't know how to fill it out. He's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> I was like, shit. So anyway, um, if you ever read through a standardized lease agreement with somebody, it takes like three hours when you read all that jargon and they ask you questions. Yeah. Well, as time goes on, you realize these are standardized, just regular generic documents. You don't have to read through every line with somebody. So mm -hmm. that took three hours. Probably the craziest story I had from that summer, my first summer in the business, is there was um, there was this one bedroom that my office had uh, had listed for rent. It was sixteen hundred. It was on like Second and Monroe, which you know is a little further from the path than people want to be who are commuting to the city. Yeah. So this guy had contacted me about it. He wanted to see it, so I take him out to see it. He's like, "All right, I'll take it." So go back to the office. At this point, I know how to draw up leases now, and it's a lot quicker. <laughs> so I draw it up. I tell him, "Hey." You know, 1600 a month, 12 month lease, security is going to be a month and a half, blah, blah, blah. I said, we just need you to fill out a rental application. So he fills out this rental application, and on our rental application, it says, What is your gross monthly income? And people would always mistakenly put their annual there. So he put, uh, he put $80,000. So I said to him, I said, Hey, uh, you. It's, that's actually your, your monthly, not your, it, that, not your annual. And he said, No, I know, it's monthly. I said, You put 80000 And he said, I know. I said, so your gross monthly is 80,000? And he said, yeah. 
I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, do you want me to show you something else? Because I could show you something nicer in a better location that's a little bit more expensive, but I, I think you could probably afford it. And he was like, no, no, this is nice. I said, well, would you consider maybe buying something? Because I was, in my head, I was like, this, I, I ran the numbers quickly in my head. I'm like, this guy makes close to a million bucks a year and he wants to rent something for 1600 a month. Something's not adding up. Yeah. So, and then I look at his rental application he has this company listed, and the company is in Colombia, the country. Oh. So I always tell the story in class. I'm thinking in my head, this guy's making $80,000 a month. Colombia, all right, sketchy. You know, maybe he's involved in some kind of like drug trade or something. <laughs> so, and then it got sketchier. He was like, and by the way, I want to pay all cash up front. I want to pay the entire year's worth of rent in cash up front. Don't want to use a checkbook. He wanted to use actual cash. I wanted to pay the security in cash, not even a checkbook. Yeah. So when we hear cash as realtors, usually it means a wire transfer or a check, certified funds. He wanted to actually pay cash. So now I'm, I'm thinking, Columbia, 80000 a month. The guy makes like a million bucks a year, wants to pay everything in all cash. I was like, this guy's a drug dealer. That, that, that's <laughs> my immediate thought process. So anyway, long story short, um, I keep asking him questions. I was like, ah, cash, like, why can't you just do a check? He's like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. He was like, I have a penthouse in Manhattan with my wife. He's like, I want to, I want a place away from her that she doesn't have to know about, so I can do other things there. I was like, all right, I'm not asking questions. Now. So, uh, but that was, you know, that was like, I was 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever I was at the time, and I remember uh, that happened, and I was like, wow, this is, uh, there's some crazy stuff you come across. Now, I thought that first year in Hoboken was going to be like every deal that I did, but you just learn, you know, after I moved out to the suburbs and started doing my business out there, that things are a little more calmer, smoother, and you know. Not as not as like active there. It's a, things move a little bit slower in the suburbs. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely had uh, had some crazy experiences for sure in my first year. But it was good. You know, I was part time in college, and you know, I was making anywhere between you know five hundred to twenty five hundred bucks a week. You know, part time as a college student. So help me, you know, pay my off campus rent, pay for food, uh, you know, start paying down my student loans. I was able to pay those off in full within six months after graduation um, oh, due wow. to making money, you know, through real estate. So, um, yeah, very, very, very fortunate to have, to have done that because I had to take out all student loans when I went to college. And luckily, I went to a state school, so I didn't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I had like 50 grand worth of student loans. So um, definitely helped me pay those off quickly. Wow. That's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> So, go ahead. Yeah, so we're going to jump into the next, um, mm -hmm. you know, segment, uh, which is, you know, you talked about uh, syndications. Could you explain syndications to the audience um, a little bit? Sure. You know, what, what that is? Yeah. Yeah, so, so basically what a syndication is, it's kind of... Um, and the best way to explain it, it's like a, it's a, it's a big partnership. That's all it is. So maybe you have like two guys who are partners, like you two are partners in a deal. A syndication would be like you two are the general partners, and then um, you guys want to take down like a ten million dollar purchase, and you need three million dollars in equity to take down that purchase. So you two are going to lead that deal, and then you're going to find investors to you know come into that deal. You guys will put up some money. The, the majority of money though is going to come from your limited partners or passive investors. Mm -hmm. So. Really, just to simplify what a syndication is, it's really just a very large partnership comprised of general partners who go out, they find the deal, they put it together, do the due diligence, they um, put together and they hire the attorneys to draw up the SEC compliant documents and syndication documents and things like that. And then the limited partners, all they're doing is they're, they're just putting money into the deal. And um, they're getting a piece of the action too. So let's say, for example, um, 
we're presenting a syndication opportunity to some investors. Uh, we might say it's going to be a 10% cash on cash return annually and an 18% average annualized return over a uh, five-year hold. Mm -hmm. What that would mean is that if a limited partner put 100000 into it, they could expect to get about $10,000 back per year. And then if we say like an 18% average annualized return over, fifth, over, let's say, five years, that would mean that, you know, they put a hundred grand in, they got 10,000 back a year in cash flow. Mm -hmm. And by the time the property sells, the, the property is now appreciated in value. And the other, you know, 8% on top of that 10% would come from the appreciation at time of sale. Right. Um, and also in a syndication, everybody, you know, shares. So typically the general partners who go out, they find the deal, put it together. They get what we call carried interest. It's like a split. So it'll be like typically a very common one's a 20, 80 split. The general partners will take 20% of the cash flow. Uh, depreciation as for tax purposes, appreciation, you know, a time of sale, and limited partners will take 80% of that based on their percentage of ownership. So that, that, that's the gist of it, and you know, really what the basics of a syndication is. Um, now, in regards to those syndications, uh, do you typically go, go for, let's say, the 50 unit or 100 unit, mm -hmm. uh, bring up the value, and then you look to resell, or are you looking to keep that for the long term and refinance? Yeah, so every business plan is different, but typically what we um, underwrite is we underwrite a five-year hold period. So give me an example. We'll go in, we'll purchase a 100-unit apartment community. Uh, what we really look for is we look for stabilized apartment communities, which means 90-plus percent occupancy. Mm -hmm. With a light value-add component, we want to be able to spend maybe four or $5,000 per unit on renovations and jump the rents, let's say, 100 to 150 bucks per month. Um, if we're successful in doing that, and it's only taken us two years to do that, we'll sell after two years once we've executed our business plan. If our business plan is not being fully executed yet, and it takes four years, five years, we'll wait four years, five years. But we also keep in mind that um, when you're buying these apartment communities, there is prepayment penalties on commercial loans for like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, so we also account for that as well. So when we account for at time of sale what the prepayment penalty is going to be, you know, really what's our net effective return. So wh whether, you know, like one deal I'm involved in right now was purchased in Lawrence, Kansas back in September 2018. Um, that's going to go back on the market in October of 2019 this year. Uh, just a property that's been performing great. The rents have jumped up by like 15% without doing much renovations wise. So there's still really, really good additional value add upside for the next purchaser. Um, and it's a property where the income's gone up and the cap rates have gone down. So that's kind of a perfect recipe to make you know, some good money on that. Um, so that's gonna be a deal that's only held for like you know, 15, 16 months at this point in time. But there's some other deals I'm in that might be held for five, six years. So every deal is different. It's kind of, you don't know what's gonna happen until you go into it and the business plan starts getting executed. but. The reason you know you, it should be somewhat predictable is you do your due diligence up front. You see what the other communities are doing, you know, in your area, right in you know that one mile radius. Were there some recent trades? If there were, you know, those owners are going to be going in and spending a ton of money too, trying to jump up rents. So it's a good thing when there's a lot of recent sales around you because those owners, the the way that they rationalize buying that is there's got to be some value add component. So you got to figure they're going to spend somewhere between like four to six thousand dollars per unit and jump rents. Therefore, we'll be able to do the same. So basically, similar to uh, residential real estate, you kind of look at comps in a, per se. Yeah. Uh, as far as like this community was renting at five hundred, now they're at seven fifty each unit. Yeah. And you know this is doing basically the same thing. It's mm -hmm. only half a mile away or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's to your point exactly like doing a CMA as a realtor. So 
we do a CMA as a realtor and we don't really necessarily 100% do a CMA as far as like the purchase price, but we do it for rentals. So if we have like one bedroom renting for 800 and our neighboring property, a competitor that's very, very similar renting for 900, we probably know there's a, not, there's a $100 built in Delta there um, where we could probably raise rents by a hundred bucks without doing much renovations. And then there's a building around the corner um, that their one bedroom's renting for a thousand with these renovations. And for us to get to that quality, we have to spend let's say $4,000 per unit to do that. So that'll be you know, kind of baked into our business plan at that point in time too. But the unique thing about investment real estate is that everything's based off the income the property generates, the NOI in other words. So if the neighboring property just sold for like 80,000 per unit, you know, our property might sell for 85, even if they're identical, because we might've done some small little things you can't tell by looking at them. Even if they look identical, the units are identical, size are identical, things like that. We might've done some things like water conservation. And through water conservation, we put in low flow toilets, low flow shower heads, um, low flow aerators on sinks and things like that. And perhaps maybe that saved us $100,000 in water expense per year. And if you're in a 5% cap rate market, well, 100 grand divided by 5% is an additional value of 2 million bucks. You know? So that's like one of the small things where these places look identical, but we use less water. And that water savings goes right to our bottom line. So that's why you know, we don't necessarily always do like a CMA per se when we're going to purchase. Of course. But we do like this, I guess like the CMA on like rental comps. That, that, that's where you can do it, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, so, kind of to go backward a little bit, how did you um, get involved with syndications? You know, um, how, how did you learn about syndications? Um, you know, and what kind of got you involved in it? Yeah, so um, I had, a few years back, I had done some subdivisions, uh, uh, flips, um, buying holds. I was doing Airbnb, actually. I had bought a condo in Hoboken, and I had it on Airbnb which was good money, but it, the way that I viewed it, I was, I was consistently buying myself jobs. I was buying myself things that required a lot of work. So after doing that and making you know, some good money doing that and also you know, making money from selling homes as well, yeah. I said, you know, I really love investment in real estate and I want to invest more and more in real estate and what's the best way that I can go about doing that without having to put a whole ton of like, time and effort into it. So, that's when I started getting more and more intentional about syndication. So syndication was something I had listened about, something I had uh, you know, taught about in class actually. We were required to teach a little bit on syndication as okay. well. Um, but what I did is I really started seeking out like really, really good professional syndicators. So started seeing the deals they were doing, started learning about the returns they were producing and things like that. Started learning more and more about the tax code and seeing how tax efficient it was for me as a full-time real estate professional to invest in real estate and specifically, you know, something that might be considered like a buy and hold type of investment. So, um, long story short, I had uh, reached out to a guy who was putting together a syndication. He was raising equity for it. He's like, I need investors. You know, would you want to invest in this? I said, absolutely. So mm -hmm. the first syndication I invested in, I put 100000 into a deal in Texas. And um, the deal's been going great. Uh, that deal produces like 8%, 9% cash on cash return right now, nice. which is great to get 8 to 9% on your money every year, yeah. you know, as far as like distribute it to you. Sure. And then, you know, the value of the property's gone up a ton as well. So on that property, his business plan is that he's going to play it, Essentially, it's the same thing as a refi. He's going to place a supplemental on that property mm -hmm. and return us anywhere between like 60, 70% of our equity that we've invested in that yeah. while keeping us in that deal. 
taking a lot of our risk out of the deal by our capital being in there, returning a lot of our capital, but keeping us involved in that deal, still producing, after he placed the supplemental on it, the cash on cash will probably um, go down to like seven, eight percent, but still, it's good sure. because I've gotten 70,000 out of my 100,000 back already. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I first started. I first started, my whole intention was, I want to invest passively, I don't want to do any work. When you're investing passively, there's literally no work. You just find people putting them together and say, take my money. Right. Um, and then as time has gone on and I've been invested in more and more and more deals, um, most recently syndicated a deal in Phoenix back in February. Mm -hmm. um, that was a 120 unit property okay. um, in Glendale. And so, you know, right, right outside of Phoenix, Glendale, which mm -hmm. is where like the Arizona Cardinals play as an example. So, um, and that deal's going great. We projected that we thought our two bedrooms would only rent for 925 a month. They're starting at a thousand bucks now, and our three bedrooms we thought would only wind up renting for like ten sixty, and those are renting for upwards of twelve hundred a month now. And we just acquired it back in February, and based on where like our income is right now, and also where the cap rates are in that market, that property is appreciated in value by like thirty percent. And wow. it's been it has not been that long. It's been like six months. We purchased it on um, almost six months to this day. We purchased it on February twenty second, uh, twenty nineteen. So. It's uh, it, the property's producing, you know, great. You know, part of that is we have a really solid team between me and my three partners, as well as you know all of our past investors who you know entrusted us with the, with their you know hard-earned money as well. And having a really really good professional management team in place and a really good property manager, which is which is your biggest Best partner on the deal. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's they they control the whole thing. So um, we have a property manager there. Her name is Maria, and she is incredible. She's amazing. So um, and, that, and that's huge for us. Yeah. So how many? Um, so so I'm assuming um, that this is you're you're part of the uh, the operators, the GP. Yeah. Um, how how many uh, GP deal ha have you done so far? Uh, that one, and there was another one. So in syndication, you have like general partners, right. and you also have deals where you're like what's called a key principal on them, mm -hmm. where. You're technically a part of the general partnership, but you're not one of the people really like Doing calling the shots right. or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, so I'm a KP on one deal in Fort Worth, okay. and um, and I'm a GP on this deal in Phoenix. Awesome. Yeah. So just for the audience to understand, uh, KP, uh, they basically help with getting the loan. Correct. Just so just so everyone's a Yeah, so KP is a key principle. Um, so when you're applying for these loans, lenders typically want to see two things. So the people who apply for these loans, um, they want to see your net worth equal to the outstanding loan balance typically. Right. Um, and they want to see your post-closing liquidity typically be anywhere between nine months to 12 months worth of, worth of, uh, worth of mortgage payments, debt service, as mm -hmm. they say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you, like, let's say for example, you're taking a loan for 10 million bucks the people who sign on that loan have to have combined net worths of at least 10 million bucks. And let's say on that loan, uh, annual uh, mortgage payments are going to be, throwing out random numbers, let's say any loan is is uh, $100,000. They wanna make sure that you know the, all the people who are doing that have post-closing liquidity of at least $100,000 as an example. Yeah, and you could you know, figure any number for that. If, the annual debt service was a million bucks, they'd want to see post-closing liquidity of a million bucks, as an example. Yeah. yeah. What's great about these loans, too, is that, you know, most of them we take out through the agencies, Fannie and Freddie. It'll be a 10-year term, but a 30-year amortization schedule, which means it has a 10-year term, but you're paying it back because if you borrow the money over 30 years, and typically you could get like two, three, four, five years worth of interest only, which when you get two, three, four, five years worth of interest only payments, 
you're not paying the principal, so that increases your cash on cash return, your annual cash flow distribution, because we have less debt service payments to make. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, oh, uh, Kyle, uh, just taking a step back, now most of the deals that you mentioned as far when it comes to syndication, it's usually like an 80-20 type of split or mm -hmm. maybe 70-30 with the general partners and the limited partners. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Um, now, in, in your expertise and what you've seen, uh -huh. let's say if you're looking to refinance, um, have you seen that the 70% or 80% partners stay on the prop, uh, like stay in the mm -hmm. deal once the refinance happens or like what what do you typically see? Yeah, they stay in the deal. So because when you purchase this, um, I guess the best way to explain it is that, you know, it really is a partnership. So despite the fact that you might have had three general partners who went out and found the deal and everything, the limited partners are the big reason why the deal happened. You needed their investment for the deal to happen. So if we refinance, let's say the refinance proceeds were a million bucks and it was like an 80-20 split. Well, 80% of that 800 gram would go to limited partners, and then okay. you know 20% of that 200 gram would go to the general partners. Everybody still stays in the deal and everything. Um, so yeah, you don't just like cut them out of the deal at that point okay. in time. Yeah, <laughs> their percentage of ownership is going to stay the same. Okay. It's just that they have less risk involved because they've gotten a decent chunk of their capital back. So it doesn't matter what time period, but um, what what was the biggest struggle you had um, in your, I guess, in your real estate investing? career? So when I first started off knowing what the hell to ask general partners before investing in one of their deals, I'm fortunate enough to um, have a base knowledge of what's a good deal versus what's a bad deal. But um, when I first started investing, I had never invested in a hundred plus unit apartment community passively right. or actively for that matter. So I didn't know every little small detail to ask. And as time has gone on, I've developed a list of questions, kind of like a checklist of like somewhere between 15 and 20 questions or you know things that I want to know about before investing in a deal and things that in my opinion are telltale signs of whether it's going to be a good deal or a bad deal. So um, one of those you know as an example is before I invest with somebody I think the number one thing you can ask them is kind of a three-part question. What's the most recent deal you did? Can I see a copy of the webinar when you're raising equity for that deal? So this way I know what your projections were and then can I see your most recent monthly report on that deal? Because I want to be able to compare the projections versus the actuals to see if they're like somebody who's like a rah-rah guy who's you know full of shit basically mm -hmm. and is you know saying we're going to do all this, we're going to have a great deal, and then the deal falls on its face. So that's a good way to kind of have somebody put their money where their mouth is. Um, I'm not going to sit up here and lie and say I've invested in all great deals. I've invested in one really horrible deal passively. So, um, but you learn a lot of lessons. I, you know, inevitably I will wind up getting my money back that I invested on that deal, but there's no cash flow being distributed on that deal. But again, fortunately, I'm fortunate that you know early and when I first started investing, I invested in that deal, and I learned a lot from it. And those are lessons that I use to take on the next properties that I invest in. Things that I look for not only because I still passively invest things that I look for, not only in passive investments, but also deals that I'm looking to syndicate myself as well. Yeah. Pretty awesome, yeah. No, but it's, all, it's also good, uh, you know, like that, well, not, not, not good for your cash flow or yeah. anything, but it's good that you did that because, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because a lot of the audience, like, they might see all the successes, mm -hmm. you know, like I can see you're very successful, like both as a broker, uh, you know, as a, Flipper, uh, I'm assuming, and also mm -hmm. uh, now with syndication, mm -hmm. but people don't realize that not everything 
goes as planned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know the other thing is too. Some people, you know, um, think that like flips are super easy, and they're not. There's a lot mm -hmm. of variables that people don't account for. People just watch these TV shows, and they're like, "Yeah, I could flip a house in New Jersey for thirty grand and make three hundred grand," and it just you know it doesn't work that way. So, um, but yeah, it, it, there is a lot more variables, and it's a lot tougher than people think. People just see. What you started with, what you ended with, and the money that you made from it—they don't see everything that happened in between and all the problems that that arose and things like that, and all the expenses that you know popped up that you were like, "Crap, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think that I was going to go into this house and um, we were going to have cast iron pipes that you know that burst because the house wasn't lived in for X amount of years and stuff like that." So that th there's a lot of different things that pop up for sure, and you know the things that hopefully. Um, before you dive into them, you can hopefully somewhat account for that. Of course. Yeah. So, um, Kyle, just uh, take you know, like taking away from all those, uh, you know, like real estate topics. Like, what's like your favorite book or like podcast that you listen to? So, uh, my favorite podcast I listen to is the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast uh, with with Paul Peebles, uh, Michael Becker. James Ang, uh, John Brickson, really, really, really good podcast. Um, those guys are commercial lenders uh, who predominantly lend on apartment communities. Um, Michael Becker actually owns over 7,000 units as a GP. So he used to be a lender and now he's an owner. Um, so he jokingly, they call him the mayor of Beckerville. Because when you think about it, if you own 7,000 units and you have three people in each unit, you're housing over 20,000 people. That's bigger than a lot of towns. So. Um, that's a great podcast, really information, uh, informational. Um, they put out two episodes a week. One is called Ask Mike Mondays, which is like a quick 10-minute episode where they ask a quick you know, question and he answers it. And then they do um, like one every Thursday typically. And that's going to be on a specific topic. It could be any, on anything from um, water conservation strategies. could be on acquiring apartment strategies, just basic stuff like that. Uh, could be on like an update on like loans and stuff like that, but it's a really, really, really good podcast. Um, and the best book I've ever read that related to real estate investing is called The Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book by Joe Fairless. A lot of the stuff in that book I think is applicable not only to just syndication but all real estate investing because when you're doing a syndication, you are going into an apartment complex, a lot of times you're doing renovations. So it goes over renovations, it goes everything from starting a syndication, goes everything from you know uh, raising equity for deals, um, what to look out for in deals, what to look out for as a both GP, general partner who's putting together the syndication, and also the LP, the person who's just you know handing their money over too. That's a really, really good book. Um, I can't stress that book enough. It, you know, I think that book, it's 50 bucks, but with that being said, it's a, it's a $50 book, which I know is a little more expensive for a book, but I, I make no exaggeration when I say that. That $50 book probably has enough jam-packed content that its value ha probably has $10,000 at least worth of educational content because there's education programs that'll charge you 10 grand for the same education that he teaches in that book. Uh, Joe has a great podcast too called the Best Ever uh, Real Estate Pod, Best Ever Real Estate Investing Podcast, I think. Right. Best every Ever day. Something Podcast. Yeah. But it it's good. Day. He does it every single day, yeah. and uh, that's good. Um, I actually have a call with Joe at three thirty today. So oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really good you know really 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 good book. If you could read one book on real estate investing, I, I would probably read that book, Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. Okay. So I, I was going to ask, um, how can people find you on social media? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, best way to reach me, I'm most active on Facebook. Uh, just Kyle Kovats is my name, so you just type it in on Facebook, Kyle Kovats. Um, my email is very easy too, kylekovats at gmail. I'm a pretty simple person. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just, just Kyle Kovats on Facebook and, uh, and you know, kylekovats at gmail.com. Those are the best ways to reach me. Okay, and uh, my last question is, uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten in real estate? Best piece of advice I've ever gotten in real estate is screw it, just do it, honestly. Um, I forget who told me that, but I was at a real estate conference once and they had, uh, not even a conference, it was kind of like a small seminar, and they just said, they said screw it, just do it, and what they meant by that was, you know, try a whole bunch of different stuff and what works, stick with it, what doesn't work, don't stick with it, and I've kind of lived by that. So um, when I first got into the real estate business, prospecting-wise, I was going door-to-door -door making cold calls all day, and I'm still making cold calls. I don't go door-to-door -door as much because I just don't have as much time anymore, but um, I would go door-to-door. -door when I first started, I'd wear a suit, a tie, I'd bring a briefcase and stuff. I would knock on doors, and I'd get everything from we're Catholic, we don't, we're not interested in your religion. I'm like, well, I'm not really here for a religious thing. I'm here because, you know, I want to see if you're interested in selling your home. I got everything from just walk, you know, we're not interested. What are you selling? I'm like, I'm not selling anything. I just want to know if you know any neighbors looking to sell their home. So, and as time went on, I was like, I'd also ring the doorbell and stand right next to the door. And people were like, probably afraid I was going to run in their house. So as time went on, I started dressing down more casually, you know, just wearing like a collared shirt and jeans and, you know, ring their doorbell, bring nothing with me, just keep business cards in my pocket. They'd answer the door with a real curious look, like, why is this random guy at my door? I wouldn't even introduce myself. I'd get right into it. I'd say, hey, by any chance, you know anybody looking to sell their home in this neighborhood? Um, and sometimes they'll just tell you straight up, we're interested, actually. Why do you ask? I'm working with some buyers right now who want to get into this neighborhood. Um, wanted to see if you might know anybody, but if you're interested, uh, you know, maybe we can talk. You know, when, when are you looking to move? Uh, we're looking to move within actually two months. Oh, have you guys started the process of interviewing realtors yet? No, not really. Uh, do you guys know where you're moving to yet? Yeah, we're, we have a shore house down the shore. Oh, damn, I have a super hot lead now. I have somebody who already has somewhere to move to and they want to move in two months and they want to move because it's April and they want to be out by the time that July hits. Oh, perfect. So, um, but yeah, I started just getting way more casual with things and you know, rather than try to be this, you know, buttoned up suit, just be real, you know, with people basically. And, you know, by doing so, I, you just learn that Sorry. from over time. You try to start off and it's just like, you know, at first you're like, I gotta be this super professional. I think, you know, younger people also feel the need to look super buttoned up and professional. And reality is people appreciate, um, you know, you being real with them, you know, and you just being, it's, it's refreshing because they're so used to seeing a whole bunch of, I say there's bullshit tours and real tours. So I want to be a real tour, not a bullshit tour, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't think I have any more questions. No, I'm, I'm pretty good. So, all right. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank yeah, you guys. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> for taking the time and uh, educating us a little. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Thanks again, Kyle. I really appreciate the talk. So everyone, please remember to like, subscribe, comment. Any feedback for the podcast or the YouTube channel is definitely appreciated. If you guys have any suggestions for future guests uh, that you guys want to see, let us know. Thank you.